0: This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller.
1: We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation.
0: You know, there's a times where a lot of people are calling for there to be deeper levels of friendships, particularly with people of the same gender. This was something that came about as a result of my conversation with Tim Tennant and a part of his book, For the Body, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And today we have a great example of that in the through the ministry of. Major Cindy Lou Drummond, who serves as a leader in the Salvation Army in the Eastern Territory of the Salvation Army in the United States. I think you're going to find this conversation with Major Drummond incredibly insightful and helpful and kind of like a prophetic challenge to our time to really pursue deep relationships and to find out there's more to the story of people than we kind we can imagine at times. I'm thankful to our sponsors who've made this podcast happen, an anonymous donor, Bill Roberts and WPO Development. Thank you so much to these folks who make this platform possible. And you can, in case you don't know, if you go to andymillerthe3rd.com, that's Andy Miller, I-I-I, you can sign up for my email list. And if you go there, you can, when, whenever you sign up, anybody who signs up gets a free link that will give you a four-page document for people who are preachers and teachers to help develop creative ideas as they exegete scripture. Now, there's much more that we could say about preaching, but this just gives you a tool tool that I think can help you come to a place of having exegetical material that is presented, that that helps you then de- develop creative ideas when you move to a task of actually preaching and writing a sermon. Okay. Also, as we move through this process, it really is helpful as we try to develop this community around the more the story podcast if people can just take a minute to like and share this i also have an author page on facebook that's a that's one way that we're trying to get the word out a little bit more just it's just andy miller the third author page thanks so much for checking this out and enjoyed this conversation with major cindy lou drummond Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm glad that you have come along today, and I am delighted to have on with me a friend and basically a family member, Cindy Lou Drummond, Major Cindy Lou Drummond, who serves as the Divisional Commander for the NEOSA Division of the Salvation Army. And NEOSA stands for the Northeast Ohio Salvation Army. Somehow they were able to include the Salvation Army in the title of their division there. But Cindy Lou, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Andy. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, I said that we have a family connection. Um your father is somebody known to me as Uncle Chuck. So Right. Uh, so we've have have had a connection through generations. Wait, maybe as we get started, could you just give a short version of the story of how our families got connected?
1: Sure. Um my father was a kid in the co- well, actually he was a kid in the community of Warren, Ohio. And his he was being raised by his grandparents, and uh, they owned a tavern. And the Salvation Army Band came around doing an open air, and he fell in love with the cornet. And uh, your grandmother was an assistant officer there, but also your grandfather uh, had some connection with Warren. And um, he, my father became a, a bandsman, and in order to play in the band, he had to come on Sunday. He got saved. And as a a kid in the Corps, your father, your grandfather um, connected with him and he said, Chuck, because very few people graduate from high school then, but he said, Chuck, if you graduate from high school, you can come and live with me and serve with me. So my father, I mean, I think five years went past your, your grandfather went into the military and then got married to aunt Joan and um, The day he graduated, he hitchhiked uh, to—I think they were in Dover—and hitchhiked and and knocked on the door. And your grandmother answered the door and said, "You know, hi, how are you doing?" My father with his suitcase, and he said, "Well, I'm here to (laughs) uh, move in." And your grandfather never told your grandmother that he made that, (laughs) but my father remembered that promise, and so that started the Dover days, um, which were the glory days, Um, and that's what we would hear all the time was what was happening in dover and dover's a small community but it exploded under uh andy and joan miller
0: and uncle chuck so this is uh, it interesting (laughs) thing that happens is like uh you imagine like at this this phase probably like in the um the 40s and there is like my grandparents would have just probably been their late 20s early 30s and all of a sudden here's this 18 year old kid i'm moving in you said i could come so there it is and then, it, and then it lives on now, even to this day.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a funny story: uh, when yeah. uh, when your grandmother was pregnant with Sue, right. um, your grandfather had gone to the International Youth Congress in London. So my father was staying with her, and she went into labor. And my father took her to the hospital, and they said, "Are you the father?" And he said, "No, I just live with her." So, <laughs>
0: all yeah, these old-time it, stories. It would have been different, uh, you know, heard differently these days, of course. Yes,
1: differently. Yes. So
0: one of, the, I have a couple of reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is that you have a unique story. Now, see, people who are watching on YouTube will see you in your Salvation Army uniform, and I described you as a Salvation Army officer with a rank of major, and you serve as a divisional commander in Northeast Ohio. But your path to Salvation Army officership is unique, and it, it starts because you you are on a trajectory uh, wholly different from Salvation Army Ministry. So would you tell us a little bit about that and like what led you sure. to the medical profession and then how that led you to Salvation Army?
1: Yeah, well, in a, in a roundabout way, I always knew I was going to be a Salvation Army officer. I felt called from childhood um, to be a Salvation Army officer. And I had a um, pivotal moment when I was 12. Um, we used to do self-denial in gatherings where we would bring the money that we've raised over the the course of a year for missions. And it was actually here in Cleveland when my folks were stationed here, I was 12 years old. We had Brigadier Dr. Noble from Catherine Booth Hospital. Yes, yes. And uh, the thing that intrigued me about him was that he did not have an arm. And I later learned that because x-ray was used indiscriminately, and they didn't use lead aprons, and, and they didn't have the precautions back then. Um, he had gotten cancer in his shoulder, and they amputated his arm. And, you know, he's a surgeon. He had given his life to the to India, to the Lord, and uh, here, that just spoke to me. And at that moment, I, I don't think it was romanticizing it, but I really, I sensed that that was what God had for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it started me thinking about medicine and just, so at 12, I'm thinking about my educational career, how I'm gonna to get to medical school. Wow. And um, that was always the plan. Uh, I'd go to medical school, I'd go to training college, I'd, I'd be a missionary. Okay. And uh, so uh, went through Asbury, I graduated from high school. Um, I'm not a great student, but I would say that I am a perseverer and, um, I'll, I'll work as hard as I can to get what, what I need to do. So, uh, went through Asbury and, uh, ended up that I was on the waiting list, uh, for two medical schools. And, uh, it's very common that many people are on waiting lists. And as openings come because people, are now admitted to the other medical school, there's a vacancy. And I had determined that I'd go to whatever school t- took me first. That's I felt that that was the Lord's leading. Um, and it happened to be the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is a very unique um, thing in America is that we have osteopathic medicine. Very was misunderstood right, uh, right. for many years, but now is is equal par to the allopathic. Route, which is the MD. Uh, So I went through uh, medical school uh, always with that goal that when I'm done, I'm going to the training college. Um, And of course, uh, bills uh, add up. And of course I had to work a little bit to pay that off. Um, But eventually um, I was in practice in Saginaw, Michigan in an underserved area and uh, loved that. And then uh, as my parents retired, I moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in a practice, and that brought me. I graduated in 1986, did my residency, and then uh, in 2001, went to the School for Officer Training.
0: Wow, but that's still so, 15 years after you graduated. Yeah. So, I mean, it's quite a journey to get there. Now, could you just give a, a kind of a bird's eye view of the d- difference in the two understandings of of medicine? Yeah.
1: Um. Basically, Western medicine is Western medicine. Um, w- when it comes to MD or DO, there are some basic things that are very much the same. Um, as a matter of fact, many of the osteopathic schools have coupled with uh, MD schools, allopathic schools, and they offer osteopathic manipulation to the MD students, where it's part of the comp- uh, the curriculum for a DO. Mm. Um, the understanding is that We're not just uh, disease. Uh, Like if your gallbladder is sick, it's not just that. It affects the rest of your body. So it's a very holistic way of looking at health. And so um, because of, let's say you have a sick gallbladder, you may have pain in your back. You may have difficulty breathing. You may have uh, referred pain. And osteopathic manipulation is to help alleviate that in treating the whole person, not denying that the gallbladder is sick, taking care of that, but also um, using osteopathic manipulation to alleviate other stressors from that sick gallbladder. Um, we use; uh, it's probably not used quite as much as it was at one time, um, and many osteopathic physicians do not incorporate uh, manipulation or osteopathic, osteopathic principles in their practice. But there are some very good techniques that help to um, encourage uh, healing. And one of the things that I remember most about my osteopathic training years is that the human touch is healing in itself. Hmm. And if you go to a doctor today, many times you're not even touched. I notice that as I take my parents to, to see their doctors. But an osteopath will always Put hands on you, and I think there's something very significant about that. So mm. that's that's basically the difference. I did a an allopathic residency. Okay. I I belong to an allopathic academy uh, academy of family practice, but uh, so it's very interchangeable, and you won't even um, realize that somebody's a DO until you see maybe DO on their on their white coat. Um, I think about mm. one of my classmates. Um, Charlie Sophie. I don't know if you ever watched Doctor Phil, but uh, Charlie Sophie is um, now like a Hollywood psychiatrist, okay. and, and he's featured. But he was a classmate of mine. I'm like, wow, that's really great.
0: Interesting. So, I, yeah. so I need to get caught up on Doctor Phil. I, I guess no. I, I, I don't. I don't know that name, but some people I'm sure do. So, I'm sure so, some people do. So you did it for 15 years, and now all along, were you focused on still that that calling you felt at 12? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very much so, so. What how how did that then? I mean that that seems like a long time to wait to do what you are feeling called to do. Tell me yeah. about that.
1: Well, you know, I think there's a mindset, and I remember um, Dr. Bravon, uh, who was at Asbury. His, yeah. He was a doctor. He was, uh, I think, his mom was with WGM. I can't remember exactly which mission group, but um, he had been a missionary, and I remember. Going to one of their evening programs, and him saying, "You know, people think medical school is so expensive. I, I'm not going to do it because it costs too much." He said, "But God will provide what you need, and it's it's a path that you're called to. And so you just every day is a learning experience. Every day is something uh, new, and so you just you just do it. And mm-hmm. so even though it seemed like it was a long time to get to the end point." Um it really was a ministry for me and I think that's the uh the greatest thing about it. It's a it's a ministry. Medicine yeah. is ministry.
0: Amen. So in, in, was that in part did you wait in part because you had to pay off the the debt to
1: Yes. <clears throat> yeah, I I felt a, a big obligation to um make sure that I went into the Salvation Army without having them Have to relieve me of my loans or anything like that. This was my degree. This was my gift that uh, the Lord had given me that I paid back, and so I I felt uh, very, very needful to do that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So did did you indeed then go to serve as a missionary at first? Was there was that something that you're able to do in another country?
1: Well, um, it's very interesting. In my training years, my last two months, uh, well. You have an elective time in your fourth year of medical school. And I actually went to Catherine Booth College or Catherine Booth Hospital in Niagara Coil and got to see where Dr. Noble worked, lived. Um, They lost a child there. And uh, there's actually a a surgical block called the Noble Block. Um, So it it was like a, a wonderful experience. And if I had had the opportunity, I would have said, I'm staying. This is it. This I love it here. Um, But I I had to go back and graduate. I had I think I I went in November and December. So I still had six months to go. I did go to Zambia as a a medical resident uh, because I was in uh, Michigan. And that division, Eastern Michigan, had a reserve that you could go and relieve or help at a mission country for a couple of weeks and the eastern michigan division paid for it. Oh, so um went uh to zambia thinking that's probably where i would go chicken kata.
0: Right.
1: Um when i uh was commissioned as an officer in 2015 no i'm sorry 2005 <laughs> yeah Okay. 2015 uh, 2005 um i was appointed as a corps officer with the understanding that in a few years I could do missionary service. Um, and this let me just has,
0: interrupt you. This is not, those who are not connected to the Salvation Army, this is not a common uh, route. for somebody to get a medical degree and then go into salvage army officership. I mean, there's been, I can only just think of a a couple of people who've done this through the years. And so this is, uh, and the salvage army has its, has its way and you're part of the executive. uh, You make that happen. You execute that mission that way, but this is stepping outside of the ordinary path of a salvage army officer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I loved being a core officer, too. I mean, it was it was wonderful. Um, and well, I'll, I'll have to tell you about that some other time. But Oil City wasn't able to practice medicine. But the connection, we actually uh, put together a dental clinic
0: I'll in enjoy. Oil
1: City as a, as because of the connections that we had with the hospital and the health department. But um, so after the three years at, at a core, um, I was appointed to Zimbabwe. Now, I had warned them that the osteopathic degree was not accepted in all countries. Okay. Believing that they understood that or read that.
0: <laughs> and, right, I right.
1: and they appointed me to uh, Zimbabwe. At first, I read it and I said, I'm going to Zambia. And then I read it again. I said, no, I'm going to Zimbabwe, which I was very excited about because I, I had when i went to zimbabwe or to zambia i was able to visit zimbabwe so it was i was very excited about that but i didn't know the kind of trouble i was going to have once i got there and uh they did not recognize my degree even though my friend dr martha jensen who we did the same residency program both members of the ama both members of the american academy of family practice um she got her license right away and I kept getting deferred and get de- mm-hmm. getting deferred and getting deferred. Um to the point that uh eight months almost eight months later um I they didn't have a place for me. They they weren't gonna license me. So that was one of the greatest disappointments of sure. my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you I mean so, you had been in a place where this this had been the goal for yeah. decades. And yeah. then you're finally there. And because there was a misunderstanding of of what your degree was, not able to serve as yeah. you felt led. What yeah. happened then?
1: Well, um, it was decided to come back to the States and um, was appointed to the training college as the training college doctor. Okay. It was like a double edged sword. You'd think <laughs> it would be a really good thing, you know, because, oh, wow, all the cadets could have free medical care. And but the cadets, uh, I believe, saw it as an invasion of privacy and 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 didn't see it as the benefit that. Uh, right. And at that time, there was a lot of um, discussion about weight management, which also is a very touchy subject with all right, right. people. <laughs> so um, so I think it had a double edge. We it was interesting that there were a few really serious cases that we were able to um, manage and help the cadets through, um, so we're thankful for that. But uh, it was it was an interesting experience.
0: <laughs> so when you came back, you went to training school. Where did where what happened after that? With as far as your various appointments in the Salvation Army.
1: Well, I was uh, I believe four years as um, the medical director at the training college. And there was a shift in leadership uh, as the assistant training principal, and um, I was appointed as the assistant training principal for two years. Yeah. And then uh, from there, I was appointed as the divisional secretary in New Jersey, then for one year general secretary, and then here I am.
0: Wow. Now this is an interesting path. Now I want to I want to come back to what what you're doing now in a leadership role in the Salvation Army, and, and that is a unique path toward in in salvage army officership. But there's also something unique about your story. And you brought up Martha, the other doctor, your friend. Now, this is a unique part of of, like what people would know about you in our society. We just we do not have categories because of the way the sexual revolution has impacted our society for developing true same gender friendships. Right. And I think what's happened in in my view with you and Martha is something that we've called like we've been calling forward for a long time. But unfortunately, society just isn't able to see it very clearly. So yeah. you have a lifelong friendship that has happened with Martha. And a lot yeah. of times I imagine this has led to challenging conversations where people make assumptions. So I'd love for you yeah. just to talk about the nature of that type of friendship.
1: Sure. Well, I'll go back to uh, when I was doing my residency. Um, Martha was already an attending physician and part of the uh, educational program in the residency. And once a week, we would sit. uh, She was in charge of the residence. We would sit and we'd discuss cases. And I just got to know her on a personal level because she was going through uh, something very, very challenging. And that was that her twin brother, had HIV. Hmm. And now this is 1988, 89. Okay. So we're talking about the very beginnings of HIV awareness. And there was still a lot of fear about HIV and not a lot of good treatments. And um, Martha was um, going to be with her twin brother in Detroit who had purchased old houses, like you could get houses for a couple hundred dollars in Detroit. And he was renovating these beautiful homes. And um, in the midst of that, he got very ill and she was trying to help him to accomplish his goal of, of restoring these homes. So she would leave work on Friday, spend the weekend with him working in the houses, drive back late Sunday night and be back in in the office on Monday. Well, I was in a delivery um, and she was my supervisor in a delivery, uh, labor and delivery, and she passed out. And everybody's like, what's wrong with Dr. Jensen? What's wrong with Dr. Jensen? And um, it led to a conversation. She was just burnt out. She was just totally burnt out. So I got to the point that Mark was... um, very ill, he had a lymphoma of the brain, which is common with this type of a, a condition, and um, he couldn't take care of himself anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Mark, um, Martha wanted him to live with her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, at this point, um, Martha was not a Christian, she had mm-hmm. gone to church, she was Presbyterian, and um, had heard about Jesus, but never, never. Connected that you have to have a personal relationship with him. So in the process of our our conversations and her wanting to bring him, but trying to figure out how can I take care of him at home by myself, um, I said, you know, I could help you. I was I was chief resident of the residency program, which meant that I made the schedule, which meant that I could really work it however would benefit, because she still had to carry on her duties. And, and so it was that uh, Mark came to live with Martha and she opened her home to me, which actually benefited me too. I was a little bit closer to the hospital. So it, it worked out very well. Um, so he was not left alone and um, he deteriorated and uh, eventually died. Um, and it wasn't until Mar- a little bit after that, that Martha really realized the price God p- paid in sending Christ for her. And so I wasn't even involved in that actual moment. It was actually in the car but um she she turned her life over to Christ. Mm, amen. So, uh sorry.
0: No, it's great. I I haven't heard this story. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, she wanted to be a salvationist.
0: Hm. Mm. So, we went to the core in
1: uh, Saginaw. Uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful time. Because she was like blank sheet of paper.
0: Didn't know yeah. anything. Right. And uh, God did a wonderful work. Wow. So so this guy he, in this position where like ve- ve- in like a ministry sense, you are serving a friend and a colleague. Yeah. And you got in this situation where it's just like, okay, well, Lord. Here I am. I have app, and this is a part of Martha's conversion. So she comes to yeah. Christ as a result of this hospitality that you're able to show toward one another, um, and that that then just led to like a, a friendship that you all have that has continued to this day. Um, right. And it's yeah. I would say partner. I don't know it, the the word. The words oh. don't come easily. So help me. It. No, and, and <laughs> I'll say maybe I'll give you a second because I don't. I, I, growing up in the Salvation Army, uh, my parents were divisional youth secretaries for years. So we would, tr- we traveled three divisions yeah. in, uh, two in Michigan and then in Indiana. And I remember occasionally we would go and this, so I'm old enough, like, so this has been like the late eighties, early nineties, where we would go to a place. We would often stay in the homes of Salvation Army officers. I remember a, a couple of corps we would go to, particularly like a little smaller towns. Yeah. There was two f- single women officers who were serving and they would, they had lived out their callings together through the years. And the yeah. Salvation Army recognized that as single, and I guess it could have happened with single men too, but in those days, they would just move them around together. And yeah. there was a great team, teamwork that came. And there was no assumption that this yeah. was any sort of like living out of a lesbian relationship or anything like that. Right. So anyways, that's a little bit of the history. And so, so, yeah. but that's not been a common practice. Um, lately but that was right. basic it was is that yeah. what happened you guys just formed a, a friendship that was able to serve as like I'm kind of a life partner
1: yeah I I don't like that word partner because of the connotation in our culture but um it's it's an association and there's not a sexual relationship at all but we build on each other's strengths which is and where one has a weakness the other has a strength uh I think that that's something that we just don't see anymore with um any kind of relationship, even yeah, sometimes sure. in marriages, I don't see that. Right. But um, I think um, this this team ministry has been so important um, as Martha and I, have, even in medical practice, we had never practiced together other than resident and attending physician. Okay. Um, so we've never been in the same medical practice, but there are things that I know Martha is so much better at doing than I am um and i go to her will you read this ekg with me and make sure that i'm not missing something because that's sure. her kind of thing um in the same way it was in the core um she was very much hands on practical ministry mm-hmm. uh, i was very program oriented and uh, and i preaching was really my thing okay and um and so we shared the pulpit in a core situation um but i knew that I could leave all the day-to-day things with the food management, the the facility itself, everything. Martha was all over that. It got her, she's a Martha. You know, she <laughs> truly is a biblical Martha. Yeah. Sure. She wants, she's busy. And, um, and I'm probably a Mary. I would rather sit at the feet of Jesus and just take it all in. So, yeah, um, sure. and that's just kind of how it's always been. So, um, you're right. The, our culture today has made it very difficult. Um, going to that first appointment, even, even before that, going to the training college. Yeah. Uh, I know the territory thought they were doing a great thing, uh, but they interviewed us. We were the first, uh, candidates to be accepted for this particular session. And we, um, uh, we had this interview and, uh, as soon as we got to the training college in September, Several people came up. So, you know, what is your relationship? Are you guys lesbians? What is, uh, same thing at the first appointment. Um, It was in Western Pennsylvania. Culture's maybe a little bit different there, but um, just couldn't believe that people would outright say that to our faces, knowing that we're Salvation Army officers, knowing what the doctrine of the Salvation Army. Now I imagine people do live a secret life. I mean, I think that we know that people yeah. leave, but uh, that was not our case. And yeah. that, you know, it made it very, very awkward uh, at a time, but it's one of those things. You just have to let it go. You know who you are. This is the truth. This is how I'm living. And um, pray that it, it people's perceptions don't close their eyes to what God has to say to them. So.
0: Right. I think it's so clear when you're, when you get to connected to some when we, when I've interacted with you through the years, that that's the nature of your relationship to, to me, but nevertheless, like the, the question is still there. And I remember saying to my parents, like when I first met you and Martha, well, what, how does that work? And my, my parents just were very close. They're friends, they're friends yeah. and they, and they, they share things together. It's, it's, helpful to have somebody who shares expenses with and like the the team approach to life in general. How how do you try to, and I imagine there might be some other people who could be encouraged by this who have a similar type of relationship, but in our time, it's just almost like our culture wants to to stop that from happening. It wants to assume. Do you try to get in front of it or you just wait for people to ask you questions? It's so, I imagine Ah. it's so hard. Yeah, it,
1: it's one of those things that um, some people don't talk about. Um, I know that there were some rumors uh, at the training school and uh, we took swift action to discuss it and say, no, this is not what it, and trying to nip that in the bud. Um, but people I, people, are going to be people, they're going to think uh, in a very, always thinking the the worst instead of the best of people. Um, we've had a few women uh, who have come out of the training college that have had similar type of relationship of friendship that are they work so well together they know and how much better is it as a Salvation Army officer to know that the person that's working with you you don't have to worry about all the drama and all of the other things. You know them. You know how you can work together and it's efficient. It's, it's for the kingdom. It, it works. So um, on occasion, it's usually if people ask and help. Um, at the training school, had a little different role because we speak into people's lives more um, openly there. Um, but um, yeah, I I guess I, I kind of wait for something to be said or happen to address it. Yeah, but there's no sense in getting angry about it. You know, yeah. it's just um, people don't understand. And I was so thankful that you spoke with Dr. Tennant um, and that he mentioned that yes. about, about friendships. And I actually bought his book after listening to that podcast. Oh, good. I think it's it's so important. And people, uh, people don't want to invest in other people as a friend. I feel like Martha is my peer. But at one point, I was a peer mentor to her yeah. spiritually.
0: For sure. Um,
1: she is an encourager to me. Um, and I think that that's um, one of the great things about having a friend like that, mm. that understands you, understands where you're coming from, um, encourages you, can be very honest with you yeah. uh, in a way that you you take and respect and aren't offended by that.
0: So. Well I, t- I hope that this can be an encouragement to people to pursue same gender friendship. It's it is a challenge to not have even in in public. Last week I was at uh, Association for Biblical Higher Education Conference in Orlando. There's a colleague from another university we were working on a on a partnership within our within our two institutions. So we had two meals together and here we are dressed up going out to eat and you know both of us our wives and our children are at home. But I did have the thought several times oh people might be looking at us like as if we are in a same-sex relationship <laughs> in, in a sexual relationship and I was frustrated by that. I'm like I can't even sit down and have a meal now I'm not I, nobody came up to me and said said, said anything but yeah. unfortunately that's where we are as a society <laughs> but that shouldn't prevent the good that can come when what what we know to be true in our hearts, when things are still within the boundaries that God has laid out um, for friendship. Like if it's not, if it's not violating God's boundaries, let's go for it. And this is a way to enrich our lives. I'd love for you. Anything else you want to say about the spiritual friendship?
1: Um, You know, I, I look back uh, now, now Martha and I have shared uh, living arrangements for all these years. I'm really uh, a 30, 30 plus years, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the last 10 years, my parents have been living with us and uh, my parents are retired officers, but my father had a traumatic brain injury. Um, My mom lost her vision within months of him having this um, traumatic brain injury. And they are dependent on us. Mm. So ten years, they're ninety in their nineties now, and I could not work if Martha wasn't with me. Mm. Um, she retired two years ago, and she has been really the glue to help keep the household going. She, they are her parents spiritually. Wow. Yeah. Um, funny story: when she was doing her candidates' papers for training. When it put down, when it says name of your father, she put my father's name down.
0: Wow! She said,
1: "I just wasn't even thinking because he's been <laughs> like a father to me." So, yeah. um, but her own parents died soon after her twin brother died, okay. actually within six weeks of each other. So she wow. she went through a, quite a bit of trauma uh, at that very beginning. Um, so my family has become really a family for her, and in, in the midst of this, um, but I think uh, it's so important we need each other. Um, Where I helped her many years ago, she's helping me now. She had a hip replacement the other week. Um, I'm here for her. You know, it's hard thinking about being a single person and doing some of the things that you have to do when you have. Absolutely.
0: um, Yeah. I mean, our society is built for these type of relationships. And I think that mirrors in part god's very nature god is love god exists as triune and if that's the case like these relationships we're meant not to be alone and part of the challenge within the salvation army i think is that we have in the united states at least i can speak to that that our model for salvation army officership really is built on the team model yeah. There, there is, in in part, all that has to happen in a field appointment, or then in the divisional appointments and territorial appointments, follow the same assumption that the compensation model is based upon a team, a husband and wife team. The responsibilities in an appointment, like you outlined, um, okay. the things that you all did in Oil City. I mean, this is in part the challenge. Like, there's not a, a zone or a slot for single ministry as, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's, is that wrong? Help me, help me articulate that.
1: Yeah. Um, there's so much work to be done. I mean, right. I find that even here in my position as divisional commander, this should be a married couple
0: Interesting.
1: Um, kind of position. Um, I am not only the divisional commander, but I'm also the, the women's divisional women's ministries, um, secretary or leader I don't yeah. know,
0: uh, but president. You yeah, my, I don't know. Maybe you're not. The pres- I always think it's kind of funny how it's like world president or something like yeah. that. That was, that was my aunt when she was in that job.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm not that high yet. Yeah, so. yeah. but But um, yeah, I think that there's a benefit to that. Um, even the kind of work that we do that requires discussion. That it's not one person's at this at this level. Not one person's d- decision. It really should be talked Mm -hmm. through and having a partner to do that. Um, Now, I use my staff uh, to participate in decision making, but um, and that's that's just the way I lead. But there are people that would just probably consult their their wife or their spouse. But uh, yeah, they're just really there are many single people in a core setting But they cannot do it alone, and if they don't have the local officers or community leaders or even employees to come alongside them, it is a daunting task for them to to lead and, and live. I mean, because we have to have relationship with God. We have to have that time, and some are so overwhelmed that that's the first thing that goes. And they don't have friendships. They don't make connections in the community. The most successful single people I know, uh, in a core setting or in the Salvation Army, have outside connections. They have friends, and yes. you need to have friends.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, the challenge that comes is that if we if and I'm not I'm not suggesting there needs to be changes made in the Salvation Army because I think that that's part of the strength of what has happened that there is this assumption of the married couple or of a, of a team approach, but it takes, and, and you would know this too, like working as a divisional commander, putting people into appointments and, and being a part of the appointment process, it takes thinking about what type of situation and context you're putting somebody into.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that that goes into it. And then how can we support them? If they're going in as a single person, how can I support them? Do I get a candidate intern? Do I get uh, someone that that will really give them what they need uh, while they're in that appointment? Um, It's tough. It's tough.
0: Well, so now you're you're serving this role as a divisional commander. And I imagine that that back when you heard uh, Dr. Noble and when you're 12 years old, you you were thinking, great! I'll serve as a missionary somewhere. And now. You're responsible for uh, a whole division operation and officers and staff and development in Cleveland and all these type of things. What are some of the things you're learning in your appointment now?
1: Well, I, I'm learning that it's very pastoral, that, uh, and everybody has said, you're the, the pastor to the pastors. And I love that part of it. Um, one of the new things that we've started in this division is officer development. And although I don't directly um, lead that program, I, I am in, included in it. And we've taken our, our officers to try to help them to grow and to learn um, and not get stagnant. That's, you know, we've got the five-year program for the new lieutenants right. and they're, they've got a connection with Asbury for a degree program, but learning should keep going. And they should grow. Their people should grow. And discipleship has been really the key uh, theme that I've I've wanted to express to this division. And uh, I think this is one of the ways to do it. So, being the pastor to the pastors, I love that. Um, hard parts are um, discipline and um, correction. That's that's always a very difficult thing, um, but. It's different than what I thought it would be. And I think COVID has uh, influenced that to some degree in a way, I'm glad for that because um, the schedule just gets so stressed out. And I know I'm hearing that from the officers. There were so many events, so many. And so maybe this pause was a good reset for us. Um, uh, there are so many things that I'm learning. I just, I just about people. About yeah. leading, and I've um, I'm glad for it. It's uh...
0: so, Cindy Lou. When you think about where things are in the Salvation Army, and it's mirrored in other denominations, other denominations that particularly I think about in the Wesleyan tradition, the evangelical denominations. Um, what do you think the challenges are for us and how do we face those? I mean, obviously, that's a big question, but you're yeah. right on the front lines dealing with yeah. dozens of Salvation Army officers who are dealing with COVID, the sexual revolution, challenges from all sorts of fronts. But what is it? What is, what's a way you can encourage us today?
1: Well, I think culture is one of our greatest issues. Um, we are one foot in culture and one foot in the Salvation Army passionate mission. <laughs> and um, we can't be divided like that. I think this is one of those things. And I hear you say this over and over again, and I'm with you 100%. We have to be grounded in scripture. It's our first doctrine. We have to believe that that's really where we are. And when we have doubt in that um, security, in that foundation, then Salvation Army officership should not be entertained. We, wow. We've we got to be 100% in And uh, I think um, the life, uh, self-sacrificing life, that's really what we buy into um, as Salvation Army officers. Um, But I would encourage people that we can, I mean, it's very true, we can be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. And I think um, this is one of the things that we have to really get that mindset of Christ, that we are to be serving, we are to be totally dedicated to him and um let him take care of us rather than us trying to think it out and and work it out so it's to our benefit um we trust him with our plans we trust and obey i think those are the and, biggest yeah. things that we trust and obey and um i i am challenged by what's happening in the in the world especially the sexual revolution i i'm so discouraged by what is happening in the Salvation Army, mm. um, that we've gone away from what we know and what we believe and what the scripture says. And we're trying to fit it into what we want or yeah. what we think we should be doing or what the culture is doing, or it's really what it speaks to. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, that's, that's our challenge. It's, what, uh,
0: what's the answer. I mean, you're, you're at an executive level where you see it from a different seat now and I'm outside of ship serving as a soldier, but what's the answer for the, the salvation army at this stage when yeah. there's competing interests? Like there's, I was, I've said, there's mixed messages. Like there's totally total wings of the salvation army that are saying, no, we can, we can interpret scripture differently, really, or scripture is not the authority anymore. My experience governs this. How are we going to handle this moment?
1: Yeah. uh, We may have to take a step back. We may yeah. lose people. We may have to refine. Um, But if, we are true to our mission. I think that um, those that just are not on board, uh, we sometimes have to cut with a knife. Mm. And, and I think that that's kind of a harsh thing to say, but there are other denominations that may be better suited for some people. Um, but the bottom, my mind just goes around in circles about this because it's God's word. And yes. if we try to look for someplace else to, to make us feel good about what we're thinking and what we believe, um, but it's not scripturally based, you're lost. Yeah. So it, it's, um, you know, I, I say find another denomination, but really, why not get right with the Lord and get, right. get get the point the point and surrender? I, I think surrender is the biggest thing. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I think... We have to obey. we And in obedience, we have to surrender. I told you that discipleship is really my theme. Um, yes. And I feel because I don't think that I was discipled well as a younger person. Um, mm-hmm. There were good things, but I, I wish I had no more earlier. I right. wish um, that there was an investment, although, you know, you've got your parents and family investing, but just for somebody really investing in me and discipling me. Um, I think that's just so important, and um, the word says that we are to take up our cross daily mm-hmm. to follow Him. If we're going to be a true disciple, take up our cross daily, and that means surrendering our will every single day. Right. And that's our emotions, our sexual feelings, our our everything. We yes. surrender Amen. it all. Our our will, uh, our wants, our yeah. desires. Yeah. And that's what being a true disciple of Jesus is. And I think we've allowed it to mean something else. And
0: Oh, Cindy Lou, that is great. This is so good. I mean, it's also because anybody who's listening to you talk right now, here's the compassion. Here's the sympathy at the same time, but also the truth. So yeah. often like it, we're not willing to say what was true because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or we don't want to be in a place where we're going to have to have a difficult conversation. But you even saying like, it might need to be like, cut with a knife, but but you, you immediately, you didn't back off of it. You said, but I hope for surrender. I hope for wholeness. I hope for discipleship. Now, some right. people would say, oh, well, you're, you're just asserting your way. But I think those who know, like can hear the heart that you're speaking with and know that this is like the way that we're committed to the principles that have united us already. So yeah. I love that. Do you, do you want to add anything else to that before we finish well, up?
1: I just believe that that God raised up the Salvation Army. I, I have no doubt about that. And we have a purpose. When we dilute our mission, dilute who we are, our identity, um, we lose what God has called us to do. And we need an uprising of devoted disciples in the Salvation Army, we are an army to fight sin, yes, what we do on the what comes out of that is the love and the compassion and the food and the housing and all of those things, but we can't we have to keep what's primary primary, yes, and I think that's um, just so important. Uh, so i I'm a salvationist through and through, and i and I love the mission of the Salvation Army. Um, and it does grieve me when when we try to deviate from who we are. We've got to really be a, have a solid identity.
0: Amen. Well, and I'm excited to know that you're going to be representing your territory at the International Sexuality Symposium that's going to happen in Singapore. I know about this because of how it worked was that they every territory would nominate a couple of people, um, various age ranges. And I, I think they could nominate three, and um, not everybody's going to be chosen. I was nominated... But not chosen. there it is that uh but I was called, but not chosen. but uh, <laughs> but you were nominated and chosen, and I know several other people who have been chosen to participate across, mm-hmm. at least from the United States. And I'm so glad that you'll be able to, hopefully, I'm not sure what the format of that discussion will be for the Salvation Army, but you'll be able to articulate this, which is kind of like a, a theme that's come through on this podcast. It's not something that I want to talk about all the time, but it's what the culture is yeah. throwing at us. It's what the the challenges within the system of various denominations is throwing at us. So it's it's in part what we have to speak to. This is, this is our right. moment. And Cindy Lou, I'm so glad that your perspective will be there. And um, and also, I'm thankful that you're serving in the appointment that God has given you with the gifts that he's given you through the years, uh, serving as a doctor and in the medical field and now in an administrative role. So thanks so much for taking oh. time to come on the podcast. It means a lot thanks to me. You. Thank you. Oh, I forgot my question. More to the story question. So is there more to the story that, that we didn't get today? <laughs> That is something you like to do or something that people don't often know about you?
1: I think people know that I am a dog lover.
0: Okay. I'm a big dog lover.
1: And uh, I my, my two English Mastiffs both died last year. Oh. And I got a golden doodle, who's a medium golden doodle. He's cute. Okay. But I am a dog lover. I'd probably be a... Yeah, working in a dog show or something if I was. <laughs> no, that's not true.
0: <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, Golden Doodles. We have a bunch in our neighborhood. Oh, they're so beautiful.
1: Yeah. What's your
0: Golden Doodles name?
1: Rusty. It goes with his color. He's a rust color.
0: Fun. So, well, thanks yeah. so much for coming on, Cindy Lou. It's been a blessing.
1: Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it.